Amen. Well, good morning, Tri-Cities Church. Welcome to Tri-Cities Church, y'all. Good to see you this morning. Um, Our scripture this morning is coming from John chapter 17. It's a prayer, and I'm going to read the whole chapter uh, this morning. Uh, Listen to the word of the Lord. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. But now when I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them. Keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, 
just as we are one. I in them, you in me, and that, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I've known you, and these have known you, and known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known so that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. God, we do give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to share in your word. And I am humbled and speechless before the God of creation, a God who chose to pray for us. God, I thank you that we have this scripture, this prayer from Jesus is a treasure for our souls to know that the God of creation has loved us and has made himself known to us and that he himself is on our team. And God, as this morning, as we journey into this scripture, I pray that you'll be with us, that you'll guide our thinking, that you'll guide our hearts and open them to you, that we can find relevance here, that we can find word of God here for our soul and that we'll be led into paths of righteousness. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, well, good morning, Tri-Cities Church. Oh, God. This is starting to become a trend, right? Uh, Good morning, Tri-Cities Church. All right, all right. Um, I am I am glad to be here and to be continuing in the Gospel of John with you. Hey, I was sharing with the worship team this morning, and I, we're going to get into this this passage in John chapter 17. Um, but I was sharing with the worship team the the fact that I am encouraged uh, just by knowing that the God of creation, um, the God of creation, prayed for us. Right, that that's the the God who made all of this, and particularly this week. This week has been a crazy week. It seems like um, it. It seems like every week is a crazy week these days. It just seems like um, the, the news cycle is, is continuing to, uh, to rotate on with new events as different things are happening in our world. And sometimes I do believe that it's beneficial for us to pull away from some of that, not to live ignorantly in the world, but to pull away from that and to put and to affirm our trust and hope in the Creator and not allow that to dictate um, our, our uh, hope and joy and, and, and even um, dictate the direction of our lives, but rather allow our lives to be led by. That's what it means to make Jesus our Lord and Savior, right? To make Him the leader of our lives, the one who leads us in our speaking, the one who leads us in our updating social media, 
the one who uh, leads us in our acting and the one um, who, who, um, who leads us in our thinking and guides our minds and our hearts. Um, there's that scripture that, that talks about thinking on uh, things that are good and holy and pure and righteous and allowing those things to guard our minds and hearts. And I think that's critical uh, for us this, this morning uh, as, we, uh, as we stand here before the Lord in his word and, and seek to hear uh, from him. Well, we are, um, we, are, we are getting close to the end of the Gospel of John. Uh, we are in chapter 17. Next week we'll be in chapter 18 where Jesus will be arrested. Uh, speaking about news, uh, one of the things that I do, and this is just, maybe this is just tell, a little bit telling about me and just the way, um, I, I, um, I tried once, um, I tried once to, to uh, get a subscription to the newspaper, and, and, and I heard this guy was just talking about how, um, how refreshing it was for every morning to get up and get a, a nice new paper newspaper. Does anybody get paper newspapers anymore? I uh, get a paper uh, newspaper. I, I imagine some people do, right? But everything's going online. In fact, you can save a lot of paper um, by, because uh, the newspaper's not like, um, Oh, man, I'm getting sidetracked already. The newspaper is not like grocery bags, right? We carry our own grocery bags. I'm, I'm going to get sidetracked just for a brief minute. We carry our own grocery bags to the grocery store typically, but when you have a child in the house, sometimes those grocery bags can be reused for other purposes. Newspaper is not quite like that. So I encourage you to save the trees and to get a subscription to an online version of the newspaper. That being said, here's what I do when it comes to, like, reading the news, right? Um, I'm a headlines guy, right? I feel like I can understand most of what's going on in the world just by reading the headlines, right? So I'll just log on to AJC or something else, and I'll just scan the headlines, see what's happening. If something catches my eye, I might pause there and stop there for a moment and read a little bit of the story or all of the story sometimes. But I'm more of a headlines guy. So the other day I was I logged on to the Internet, and one of the top headlines in the AJC was about this guy guy that was on death row um, who um, they requested a, I think as the title said, a high calorie meal. And I thought, that's interesting to be newsworthy. Uh, and it was right at the top. So I opened the story because I wanted to see what was going on. And there was a story about a guy who had requested this high calorie meal. You know, that odd tradition of giving uh, death row inmates or people before they're executed one last desire, I guess it is, one last desire before they uh, die. It's, it's, an, it's an odd tradition that really doesn't have many roots other than I think people might feel good about giving someone one last desire um, before they die. And all that got me to thinking about how desires are a powerful thing. In fact, our lives are shaped by desire. Every single day, our desires are shaping our lives from the time we get up in the morning. In fact, our desire begins the night before determining whether we're going to get up on time by setting the alarm or not, right? Desire shapes every area of our lives. From the time we get up, we decide whether we're going to log on to our phones and look at Facebook or, or Instagram or something different, or whether we're going to read the scriptures. From the time we get up, we decide whether we're going to have coffee or tea. We decide whether we're going to put socks on our feet or not, right? Our desires for different things they shape our lives. In fact, every single moment of our lives are shaped by our desires. 
And some desires are stronger than others. In fact, one of the things I find is that when I try to ignore desire, particularly materialistic desires, desires for things, when I try to ignore them, it seems like they get stronger. This is the curse of Amazon, at least for me. I'll log on there and fill a cart full of stuff that I really don't need, but it will sit in my cart, and every time I uh, log on, it's speaking to me. It's talking to me, saying, you need me, and before I know it, I feel like I need it, and then I buy it thinking it's going to give me some kind of satisfaction, and that find that satisfaction satisfaction just isn't real. It's nothing but a desire that's growing. And don't desires have a way of doing that? They have a way of growing and manipulating us in our lives and making us feel like there are things that we need that we really don't need. I got this thing, and I've been trying to figure it out, and anybody's a computer whiz, come see me after the service. Every time I look up something online, I swear, it pops up in the different ads on different pages. I want to stop that because I'm wasting my money. I want to stop those ads from coming up because it makes me think that, that somehow... Th- I, it makes me think, um, y'all know sometimes people over-spiritualize things. <clears throat> and so I'm like, God must want me to have that. <laughs> it's popping up everywhere I turn. God must want me to. God must want. I, I try not to be that guy, but I'll be honest. I am that guy sometimes because these desires shape our lives, our whole life, the things we do, the things we don't do, the things we buy, the things we don't buy, the decisions we make, the relationships we're in, all that is shaped by our desire. Desire shapes our lives. And we get into John chapter 17, our text this morning, it's a prayer. It's Jesus' prayer. It's his final prayer with the disciples before he goes to the cross. But this prayer reveals Jesus' dying desire. If Jesus could have one last desire before going to the cross and to express it here, he's praying to God, and this prayer reveals his dying desire. Now, if you remember, if you've been tracking with us, we are, uh, have gone through um, chapters 1 uh, through 16 of the Gospel of John, but particularly in chapter 14 through 16, Jesus has been sitting down in a room, well, uh, part of that time sitting down in a room where he washed the disciples' feet, right, where he uh, shared in a meal with the disciples, where he taught them about remaining connected. He used that metaphor, the vine, remain connected to the vine. He taught them that without me, you can do nothing that is pleasing to God. He stressed the necessity of remaining in Jesus's teachings, and not just his teaching, but also remaining in his love, that being um, a person that remains in his love by choosing to live out that love for other people, that keeps us close to Jesus and ultimately keeps us safe and protected, not necessarily safe and protected from uh, pain, right? Not necessarily safe and protected from uh, the Roman government, not necessarily safe and protected from thieves and crooks that might come into our house, but keeps us safe and protected in God's will, right? Keeps us anchored there in God's will, which ultimately means that we are safe uh, in the grand scheme of things, right? There might be hard things that happen, but the followers of Jesus Christ are safe in God's care. And so he's been teaching all that, and he kind of concludes that teaching uh, with this powerful prayer um, that reveals Jesus' dying desire. And, and this prayer is one of those that we could really just pause here and stay here for a while. Um, but our goal is to uh, make it through this whole prayer 
this morning. And so I want you to see Jesus' dying, dying desire. And we'll break it down in three sections because that's kind of how Jesus breaks it down. He prays first for himself, then for the disciples, and then he prays for, for all that will believe in him. And so what we see in this first section of this prayer that Jesus has is that Jesus' dying desire is first and foremost for God to be glorified, right? That God's, that Jesus' dying desire is first and foremost, right? The, the main, the central idea in his mind, the desire of his heart in that very moment before he goes to the cross is for God to be glorified. And the irony that we see here when we begin looking in this text is that Jesus sees his own glory, right? His own being gl- glory being connected to God's glory, right? So his glory that is seen uh, as man, uh, God, man, and <clears throat> his glory that's seen as God in the flesh, right, on, on earth reflects on the glory of God. He sees the two as inseparably linked, if you will. And if you look with me again in John chapter 17, verse 1, listen to what it says. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, right? He's saying, glorify me, that the Son may glorify you. And then again in verse 4, listen to what he says. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Here's what Jesus understands, is that God's glory, the uh, magnitude and the majesty of God that is revealed by God's attributes and qualities, God's glory is connected to his own glory. And so here's what he's, here's what, where this prayer is beginning for Jesus. He's saying, I've done the work that you sent me to do. Again, if you look in verse four, I glorified you on earth, right? You, I, I was sent here on mission with a purpose. I have done that work. And, and I, I think he's reflecting, and especially the gospel writer at least is reflecting over all of John's gospel. And he's looking at all that Jesus has done and accomplished, things that we experience together as we have journeyed through this gospel. And Jesus is saying, I've done all of that and I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished or having finished the work you have given me to do. And so Jesus is saying, I've done all that I can do. I've completed the work that you've sent me to do. And and essentially what his prayer here is, but there's part of this work that you've sent me to do that I can't do without you. See, Jesus knows that he's at that moment where he's getting ready. In fact, immediately after this prayer, he's getting ready to be arrested, tried, and crucified uh, all in that night, right? Well, not necessarily crucified that night, but arrested and and tried, right, all in that night, right, and and this thing is getting ready to speed up real quickly, Uh, and and he, he knows the cross is on the way for him, and as this thing begins to speed up, he's saying, God, there's one part of this that I can't do, right, when my body hangs limp on the cross, right, when they take me down and they bury me, when they place me in the tomb, there's There's a part of this that I can't do, but you can. And so what he's praying here is, uh, Father, glorify the Son, raise the Son from the dead, right? Uh, Triumph over death, defeat death in my own body, right? Triumph over death, glorify the Son um, so that you yourself may be glorified. And even in that prayer in verse 5, he says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you um, before the world was. He's saying, um, and, and this is important for us, he, he, 
he's, he's teaching here as he has in other places, so it's not so much teaching but kind of reiterating uh, what he's taught in other places, that Jesus didn't come into being when he was born on earth, right? That it is God in the flesh. God has become human. It's a preexistent God, right? He existed before he was born on earth. God has come to earth to rescue us. And, and that's what he's affirming here when he says, uh, the glory I had before he's going, I was in heaven, right? I had all my needs met. I wasn't experiencing temptation or the hardship or the pain of earth. But you sent me and I chose to go on mission for you and I've experienced pain and concern and temptation and the same hardship that all humans will face. And, and Jesus is saying, and, well, and, and that's, well, oh, oh man. And, and that's so, well, let me just pause there for a second. Because that's so encouraging to me um, because it's like we have a God that's familiar, right? He's familiar with our suffering, right? He's familiar with this week in America, right? He's familiar with our anxiety, right? He's familiar with our fears, Right, we, we have a God, not a friend, right? I mean, a God who's a friend, but not just a friend, like, not just like a, not a spouse, right? Not, not, a, not, a, not a friend like me and Jamie are friends, right? Not, 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 not a friend, right? Um, he, he's not saying you, you have a friend that's familiar. Yeah, that's one thing. But we're, we're, like, like we're in it together, right, if it's, if it's just a friend. But he's saying you got a creator, right? You got a God who's come to earth, who's familiar with your suffering, that's familiar with your struggle, that's familiar with your story, that's familiar with your temptation. So he's not saying anything out of ignorance, right? You, you know, that... Um, that song, you don't know my story. Y'all know that song. Uh, you don't know my story. You can say that to a friend, but you can't say that to God, right? Because there's a God that's familiar with your story. In fact, He's written your story. He knew your story before you knew your story. Uh, and, and so we have a God that knows your story, and that God has come to earth. And, and here's what He's saying here. Um. Man, if Jesus, if, if Jesus came and did all the things that we've seen him do, right, if he turned the water into wine and um, if he um, gave the paralyzed man the ability to walk and gave the blind man the ability to see and if he multiplied the fish and the bread and fed 5,000, like if he did all that, I, th I think, um, I th I think there, there, there would be a, um, there, there would be a book in some dusty corner of some library that would record those things, right? Um, and that's where that book would remain if he hadn't raised from the dead. If, if his glory hadn't been revealed, right? So it, it would have made a good book for somebody to dig out and to, like, <laughs> get some uh, kicks and giggles out of some funny cool stories or whatever that them people did way back then, if he hadn't raised from the dead, if he hadn't got up from the dead, if he hadn't been buried for 
three days, if he hadn't done what is impossible, if he hadn't trampled on Satan's feet. And so that's what he's getting at. He's going, hey, this makes a good story. And yeah, people are going to tell this story um, for, for weeks and months and years, but eventually people are going to forget about this story if, God, you don't complete the work that you've sent me to do. I've finished my part. Now, God, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm trusting you to finish your part. Glorify the Son that I may bring you all glory, he's saying. Now, as I was reading through this passage, one of the things that I realized is that this, this section, Jesus' life, um, it, it points us to something that we all struggle with, and that is finishing, right? We all struggle with finishing. I mean, who of us hasn't started some project or set some goal or made some decision that I'm going to do this or that or something else and didn't finish? Maybe it was school. Uh, or maybe it's these crazy project ideas like I get in my head. I always am taking on a new project. I, I have a ritual in my house. And that is if I start a project and I don't complete it, I toss it. Because if not, I would have all kinds of projects just lingering around and hanging around my house. Um, because there are projects that I set out going, oh, that's a good idea. And then I find out eh, it may be a good idea for somebody else. Wasn't a good idea for me, right? Because we have a problem. All human beings have a tendency to start things that we do not Finish. That is just a part of life. Sometimes it's because hardship creeps in and we find ourselves distracted by life and other things. Sometimes it's because um, uh, it, we find out once we get our hands in it, working on it, that it's just harder than we thought it would be. We, we have a problem with hitting obstacles and quitting at the obstacle and not pressing through it because it takes a certain kind of discipline, a certain kind of mental fortitude. And in this case, what we see is that over and over again in people's life that we, that this tendency to not finish things has a way of creeping into our life of faith. And, and what we see in this passage with Jesus following God, living for God. What we see in this passage is that Jesus hit the greatest obstacle known to man, the cross. And Jesus had a decision to make at this moment, right? He could have chopped it up and been like, hey, like, really? Like, people are going to be still talking about me tomorrow, right? It, it, even if I don't go to the cross, like, even if I go, all right, God, um, we had a good run, but this run is over, right? I'm going to pack up. I'm just going to slowly disappear. The story will go. He fed 5,000, right? He, he turned water into wine. He healed uh, the blind man. He, uh, the guy that wasn't walking can now walk. He even raised Lazarus to the dead. And then he disappeared. Jesus could have gone, still a good story. Right. I mean, I mean, still a good story. I mean, I walked on water. Still a good story. Right. He, he could have he still could have said that and, said, and not finished the work that God called him to do. Right. Because he hit an obstacle that was greater than any obstacle that any man has known. And here's what he did. Right. He he um, pressed into that obstacle. Right. That hardship, that struggle, that impossibility. He pressed into that and then listened to his prayer. And then he prayed to God, glorify your son. Right. Bring me through this because I'm not able. And what we have a tendency to do is we hit obstacles, at least me. All right. I'm not going to put that on all of you all. 
Some of y'all don't. Um, but, but what I have a tendency to do is that when I hit obstacles, right, I back down and go, I'm just kidding. I wasn't really going to do that, right? <laughs> I was just playing. Um, I didn't realize it was going to be so hard, right? It sounded like a good idea in the moment, but I wasn't thinking clear. It was early in the morning, right? Um, that, that's what we have a tendency to do. But what we see Jesus does is he follows through. And I find this passage being so encouraging for me because it's saying hit obstacles that say impossible on them. And trust God there, right? Hit obstacles in your marriage that say impossible. Trust God there. Hit obstacles in the thing that God is calling you to do. And invite God into that situation. You see, the reality is we have a hard time finishing things we start. And we can't allow that to creep into our faith. What we see with Jesus is that he hit the greatest obstacle known to man, namely the cross. Man, and that obstacle drove, drove him to his knees. And um, man, and the prayer in that moment wasn't... <laughs> Jesus' prayer, it's not really funny, um, but Jesus' prayer in that moment was, was not, um, it wasn't, God, I'm getting ready to take this cross like nobody ever took a cross before, right? It wasn't like that, right? I'm going to take this smiling, right? That's sometimes how we treat obstacles, hardships in life. I'm going to take this smile. I'm going to man up. I'm going to like, Jesus wasn't like, I'm going to take this cross, all right, bring it on. It wasn't like, bring on the cross, right? It was, God, I don't want to do this because this is going to be terribly difficult for me. It's an obstacle, but I know that you, the God of creation, can see me through it. The God who parted the waters can see me through it. You see, this passage is challenging us to allow obstacles to drive us to our feet, our feet, our knees, so that God can be glorified through our lives, right? Through our lives. And if if Jesus had to pray this prayer in the middle of this great hardship, how, um, how arrogant of us to not pray fervently, continuously. How arrogant of us not to beat down the doors of heaven with our prayers and beg God to be with us in dark seasons of life in the way only God can. Not in the way that we imagine the story should play out, but in the way only God can. Jesus is saying, now and Father, verse 5 again, now Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before. God, do this. God, glorify yourself. So the first thing we see is that, um, that Jesus' dying desire is first and foremost for God to be glorified. If that's the, the cry of our 
hearts, that's the prayer that we pray, then we will find ourselves not avoiding hardship, but sometimes going through it. The second thing we see that Jesus prays, boy, man, and man, is time. Am I looking at my watch right? Man, it's time. Maybe I should have. I, I told Jamie this week, I said, hey, we're only going to get through half of John 17, not the whole thing. And then I said, oh, no, I'll get through it. Oh, gosh. What was I thinking? All right, so all right, so John said, all right, back to John 17. Second thing we see um, that, that Jesus that Jesus prays is he prays for his disciples. That is the eleven, those who have chosen to follow him on earth. And the thing that he begins to pray for them is for their perseverance, right? He prays for their perseverance that God somehow, some way, will intervene in their lives to give them the strength and the ability to persevere through hardship. Because here's what he knows: he knows that they're going to be scattered. He knows they're going to be persecuted. He knows they're going to be crucified as well. He knows the hardship that they're going to face because of their faith. And he's praying because here's the deal. Again, if we, we, we continue this, this logic, right? If Jesus would have gone, hey, I did all these things. Now I can just disappear. It still remains to be a good story. He, he, the same logic is flowing through to the disciples, right? He did all these great things. He gathered these 12 guys around and one, you know, Judas, he flunked out. Um, and then the 11, they continued on after Jesus, and, and they did some good stuff too, right? They started this group of people. They called it the church. It was kind of a cool thing, but that thing just fizzled out, right? Uh, it still makes a good story, right? It still makes, if you look in Acts chapter 2, uh, when 3,000 people accepted Jesus on one day, I mean, that still makes a good story, but if that story ended with, and that thing fizzled out, Right? Um, something, something, something happens to the story where that story ends up in some dusty old book in the corner of some library, and maybe some grad student somewhere might pull it out and read it and research it in some project that has to do with ancient stories that fizzled out. I don't know. Um, but, but that's the way this works. And so what Jesus does here is he prays for their perseverance. And I love the way that he prays for their perseverance because he's, he's praying like, and this is the imagery that's in my head, and maybe... Um, you can come up with your own imagery if it doesn't work for you, but the imagery that's in my head is this, this runner, this relay runner, and he's run a strong leg of the race, right? He's, he's done his best, right? He knew he worked out. He did his squats. He's been sprinting every day, all that kind of stuff, calf raises, all that stuff, right? This is uh, Hussein Bolt, I guess, the Jamaican. I don't know. Does he run relays? Who knows? Um, but this is a runner who's running a relay with the baton in his hand, and he gets to the point where he's handing off the baton, right, and, um, and has given it all. And falls to the ground. And, and as he's laying there on the ground, he's watching the next runner. And, man. And he's going, I, you know, I gave it all. I did my all. I did my work. I completed my task. I've passed on the baton. And he's saying, please, God, let him run strong as well. Look at what, look at what he says in, in verse 6. I'll pick up there. He says, I have, right, he's talking about what he's done. I've run the strong leg. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they, come to, they have come to know that everything you have um, given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, right, here again, talking about what he's done, I have given to them, right? I've given them, I've, I've done my part, and they received them. Right? It's the baton. They received them uh, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent them. I ask on their behalf, 
I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And so he's saying, I've passed this baton, and so far I've been glorified in these disciples because they are living out my life, my character. They're living as my ambassadors, my representatives in the world. Look at what he says in verse 11. I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. So he's saying, I'm not going to be able to be there to ensure that all goes well with them. I I, I come to you, right? I'm not going to be able to be standing by their side where they can say, hey, Jesus, what, what what, what am I supposed to do here, right? He, he's saying, I'm not going to be right there next to them in the flesh as I have been in the past, right? But then he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. That's like uh, NIV, I think it says something like the one, the son doomed to destruction. Perdition, it's a weird word for destruction. Um, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And so he said, I've done this work of keeping them, but now I'm passing the baton on to the 11 disciples. And what he's praying for is the continuation of God's mission. He's praying for the continuation of God's mission. So here we see Jesus' desire is for the continuation of God's mission, for this thing not to fizzle out, but for the disciples to continue the work that Jesus was sent to do. And this brings to to mind this important thing that Jesus did from the very beginning of his ministry, right? Right when he turned 30. I imagine this was on Jesus's birthday. Maybe not, um, because it probably wasn't December 25th. Of course, that was Jesus's real birthday, of course. Um, um, But I imagine this was probably on his birthday, about the time he turned 30, right? He began his public ministry. He went out and he called 12 disciples to come and follow him. He said, I'll make you fishers of men, kind of odd and cryptic. They probably didn't know what he was saying, um, totally. Um, But they dropped their stuff. They followed him. They walked with him. They talked with him. He told them they, he was their own, or however that song goes. They, they, they lived with him. They learned his ways, um, and, and they began to learn from the master, the creator of the universe. And he taught them not just what he was doing, but why he was doing it. A lot of that teaching we have in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so you have these 11 disciples that walked with Jesus from all these, this time. They saw what he did. They learned his way of life. Um, He began um, entrusting them with um, responsibility to do the same work that he was doing. And then what we see here in this passage, which is um, particularly important for us, is that not only does he pass the baton, but he completes the discipleship process, which is a sending out into the world to do as they had learned to do from Jesus. And so if you look a little bit further, uh, verse 13, listen to what he says. He says, but now I come to you. He's praying to God, remember. "Um, These things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in them. Right? I've said this so that they may have my joy made full in them, um, that they may know 
um, that, that you have heard this prayer, like that God has heard this prayer on their behalf, and that they might find uh, full joy in that. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Even as I am not of the world. And then he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, um, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is the truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Right? Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. I know the version behind me was slightly different because I can't focus during the week. Um, But that's... I want us to pause there. Some of y'all are like, what? I, was, I just woke up from my nap. Uh, is it different? Hold on, read that one more time. Um, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into, I don't blame you. It's a rainy day, right? It's hard to stay awake. Um, uh, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is the final stage of discipleship, right? Jesus calls these men to walk with him right, to live with him, to learn from him, to learn God's will, God's ways, God's character from him, to begin adopting that. And for that, um, I am the vine, right, to take on God's very own personality and character within themselves and then to be sent out into the world to live that out. And so here we have this discipleship where Jesus says, um, you know, some people put it this this way. Hopefully I can get this right. Um, uh, it's kind of like they say, I do, you watch, right? Uh, I do, right? I do, you watch. That's Jesus. Jesus is like, all right, come follow me and watch the things I do. I do, you help. And so he in, in, uh, in, in, uh, involves the disciples' help in the work that he's doing, the ministry that he's doing in the world. And then he kind of hands over responsibility a little bit just so that it's uh, you do it and I help, right? I, I guide you. I mentor you, so to speak. And then uh, you do and I watch you do. I send you out to go and do on your own, right? So it's, it begins with someone uh, pulling you aside and saying, I'm doing this. This is the way of God, discipleship, right? And then, but ultimately, it ends with you being sent into the world to do what you learned all over again. And this is the, the model that's given to us in scriptures um, that Jesus himself embraced, um, but it's also the model that he handed over to the church for the way we are supposed to live our lives. In fact, if you look in Matthew's gospel, I'm like, where am I? If you look in Matthew's gospel, um, um, chapter 18, chapter 28, sorry, um, chapter 28, if you look there towards, towards the end of Matthew's gospel, uh, where he records a different part of the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples Verse 16 says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And this is after the crucifixion and the resurrection. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples. Make disciples. Right? Make disciples 
disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? So that was the command to the disciples. That was the command to the church. Go and make disciples. Discipleship is not just telling people about Jesus and hoping they receive that story and figure their way out into living like him and following him. Rather, discipleship is walking with someone over the course of their life so that they can understand what it means and what it looks like to live like Jesus lived. Discipleship is becoming uh, deeply involved in someone else's life where you are praying for them, where you are teaching them, um, where you are studying the scriptures with them, where you're helping them understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the, res- the responsibility for the discipleship falls on the church. That's all of us. Not the institution, but the church, the people. Because the very first command that Jesus gave his disciples was be, is go, or not very first command, but the command that Jesus gave his disciples is go and make disciples. Here's what disciples do. Disciples make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. Right? You see what I'm saying? Like it, it's this ongoing thing. Discipleship never reaches its destination. Disciples make disciples. Make disciples. They just keep going and on and on and on. And so if we're disciples, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, then our responsibility is to make disciples because that's what discipleship is. And what we see in John chapter 17 is what Jesus um, completes the discipleship process by sending the disciples into the world. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And this is the area where the church today um, is facing serious challenges. And um, the, the, the challenge is that the, the church, um, and let me define church, um, that I'm talking about, at least the way I'm using the word church. The church, the gathering of believers on Sunday morning has become our primary tool to disciple people into faith and living like Jesus Christ. And so what we do, what we tend to do, is we tend to walk out of these doors, and if we say anything about our faith, we say, oh, well, I go to Tri-Cities Church on Sunday. It's a wonderful experience every single Sunday. I love my church. You should come to my church. Right? It, and I commend you for saying that. Right? I, I think you should continue saying that. I don't have any problems with you saying that. I don't have any problems with you talking about um, the preacher and how much you enjoy his preaching. <laughs> I, 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 I won't fault you for that if you want to talk about that. Um, but, but that's um, often and too often that's where our version of discipleship ends, right? We invite people to our church, and we think that by inviting them to our church, that now somehow the preacher or paid professionals that the church has hired will walk with them into faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, um, and, and the responsibility the, uh, of, of making disciples falls on, you know, the four, four, four pastors of Tri-Cities Church, um, 
when, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm underestimating a little bit, but, but I'm guessing that all of you at least uh, every month is inviting somebody to church, right? It, right? And I'm just guessing that we have maybe 70, 80, let's just look at this low ball a little bit. We got maybe 70 or 80 people. That means that, let's just say only half of them respond to your invitation. That means we got 30 people visiting Tri-Cities Church every month. And that's just way too many for us to disciple. Because God has given that responsibility to the church, to all of us. And I guarantee you that if we say, well, I'm just, I'm just learning myself what it looks like to follow Jesus, you'll be saying that 50 years from now if you don't start now. In fact, the best way to learn how to follow Jesus is to learn how to follow Jesus with someone else that's just learning to follow Jesus too. Walking with them through the scriptures, discipling them into an understanding of what it looks like to follow and to live like Jesus Christ. Now, your pastors at Tri-Cities Church are happy to get an email from you that says, hey, I got this coworker, and we've been, we've been studying the scriptures together, and I've been telling her about Jesus, but I, we came up against this, this scripture, and we just, we just don't really know what to do with it or how to understand it. Could, could you help us? Your pastors are happy to step into that situation. But we're not happy to disciple people for you. What Jesus did is he made disciples. And what he does is he sends those disciples out to continue God's mission. And they continue that mission through multiplication, right? Even if you just take half of the number of disciples that Jesus had. He had 12. You just give them give six, right? Disciples each go get six. Now you got the 11 that survived, each getting six. That's 60. Oh, man, six is a bad number. Uh, at least we only got two sixes. That's 66 um, disciples that are now made. And then those 66 go out, and they, let's just say they just do half a job. Well, I don't want to do half because then the number keeps decreasing to zero. They go get six, and those six make six, and I can't do the math there, but the number is beginning to multiply exponentially. And that's what we see happening in the early church, and that's what the church has to see happening today. That's what the church has to see happening today before we complain before we talk negatively about the world before we get all sad and teary-eyed over the way things are going in our world we got to step up and be the church disciples who make disciples we'll finish John chapter 17 next week you know every Sunday morning we um we share in a time of communion. And really, that's what these four tables around the room are about. And it's a reminder for us that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, for everything wrong that we would ever, could ever do. 
And on the table, there's a cracker that represents his body, um, bread that represents his body that was broken for us. And when you come to the table and you break a piece off, you'll hear it crack. And it will remind you that his body was broken for us, pierced for us. And there's a cup with juice to remind you, as any other man would, blood came running down. And as the story goes for so many, that becomes the end of the story. But not this story. This is a resurrection story. A story of new life. A story of triumph over death. A hope-filled story. A story of a God who's come to earth and has created us to live in community with one another and has made a way for us to do that. Let's pray and then whenever you feel comfortable, make your way to one of these four tables, share in communion. God, we give you thanks that this day, that this day we have the opportunity to gather around these tables knowing that we are disciples called to make disciples. And God, we're thankful that we are in this room with other disciples, other people who have made a decision to walk with you. And that as we go out into this world, as we are sent out into the world, God, we're trusting you that we aren't called to and we can't do this on our own. And so we're thankful that we sit next to and stand next to others who are doing it with us. And God, I pray that as we go out and as we're sent as disciples, that we will feel the strength from one another. The strength that enables us to live fully into your mission in this world. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.